Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. My first caveat of this morning is if you missed last week, this is a very important two-part series. If we only hear this week, we're not going to be balanced. So listen last week and know that there is a fuller picture as we are diving into a two-part, two-week um, series, mini-series, on the rhythms of grace lived out by the way of Jesus. And last week we covered rest, refreshment, and this week we're talking about work. So we need a both-and approach this morning. So uh, we are rooting this in um, the Eugene Peterson translation of Matthew 11, where Jesus says this, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so what we've been talking about, what we're talking about again today, is that the human design, when we are flourishing in the way that God intended, includes both of these rhythms of grace. That verse before saying, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. It was silly imagery I used last week, but I'm going to use it again this week, is the idea of a teeter-totter. When you were a little kid and you were playing on a teeter-totter, it was no fun to try to get that thing to go when you were alone. You'd like jump up and it was real lackluster. Or if you were teeter-tottering with your sister, say, and she jumped off while you were on top, it was super uncomfortable. The rhythms of grace only work when the teeter-totter is going back and forth in that wonderful rhythmic thing that was so fun when you were a kid. So that's our teeter-totter rhythms of grace that we're talking about in this two-part series. Because we want to not only watch the rhythms of grace that Jesus lived, but we want to mirror his way of living as Christ followers. And so we said last week, his life balance included regular retreat for communion with God. We talked about Sabbath and retreat. I brought a stack of resources that I would recommend if these patterns of rhythms are new for you. Come check any of these out. But the idea is that there is a special holy rest and refreshment rooted in relationship with God that we are hardwired for. But today we're going to talk about the alternate side of that teeter-totter, and that is our balanced rhythms of work. The way we see this in the life of Jesus is he would retreat to the wilderness, uh, and that was his refreshment with the relationship with the Lord, and then he would go back to engagement in the city. And we were made as humans to start out of Sabbath rest, right? That's what we talked about last week. But we rest so that we are refreshed for engaging in the world around us, to be ready and refreshed to enter back into activity. Now, I did bring a group of resources, like I said, so I'm going to quote one of them, um, and this is A.J. Swoboda says this, Sabbath rest assumes work. That is, the Bible has a word for Sabbath minus any work, and it's laziness. Likewise, the Bible has a word for work without a Sabbath, and it's slavery. Rest is not truly possible without work, and work is not done appropriately without rest. A balance is required for them to both be what we were created to be. The flow of discipleship was engagement, ministry, and work, followed by rest, quiet, and solitude. Work and rest are meant to be bedmates. I like that reminder. We are meant to have a both-and approach in the rhythms of our life. So let's start when we're talking about work today. Let's start by 
even understanding the design of what we are calling work. This is, uh, work is defined as activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or a result. And that is including but not limited to being paid so that you can have a financial sustainability. That can be the purpose to support yourself or your family. But I would say this, work in our definition is not limited to those functions, those activities that produce an income. There is a lot of work where you do not get paid for it. There are a lot of different careers. For example, you might be a full-time student right now and you've got a major outflow of cash, not an inflow from being a student, but your purpose is towards an end goal. Or perhaps you're a stay-at-home parent and you have the most demanding and unappreciative co-workers that anybody could imagine and no one's paying you a dime. That's really hard work and that's to be appreciated. So we are, our work is, yes, sometimes for the purpose of paycheck, but not always. It's way beyond that. And what about retirement? Some of the people that I admire most of the retired community are the ones who are no longer being paid, but the work of their hands includes mentorship or engaging with their, their family and their neighbors in new ways and volunteering. So it's work is beyond paycheck. Includes paycheck sometimes, but beyond that. One resource says this, indeed we never can retire from our image bearing or from the mandate to love God and love our neighbors, to work and to keep the garden. Our modern concept of retirement becomes a time to find new ways to love God and love our neighbors. As life changes, we have the opportunity to discern and explore new expressions of our calling to Christ within our circumstances. And that goes for all life stages, whether you're a full-time fifth grader or a full-time master's student or retired or staying at home and not getting paid or whatever your thing or an accountant you know whatever it is different times of life create different contexts and ways that we are to look at what we are going to call this morning the work of our hands so work changes that's okay but here's where we want to start our time today the idea of work of our hands whatever that is is a part a fundamental part of the actual design of being human. It's there starting in the very beginning. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, some days work may not feel it may feel more like it's the consequence of the fall. If you're familiar with the story of creation as um, told in Genesis, you might think like, yeah, but I remember there was that whole moment that like your work is going to be toil. And that did happen, but that was not a curse. That was a consequence of the actions in the garden. The original design before anything went askew was that Adam and Eve would work that garden and enjoy the fruit of their labor. Also uh, in the mandate was uh, to be fruitful and multiply. And so we hear the consequence again uh, later when God is talking to the man and woman and saying that a consequence includes that there will be toil to work the earth and your childbearing will be painful and you'll have strife between the two of you. These were not curses given. These were consequences stated, all three of those. The curses were against the snake in the ground. And so now suddenly, instead of this lush garden, to bear the fruit of the garden out side of Eden was going to be toilsome because it wasn't going to be easy and the labor of childbearing was going to be painful. So we see those as consequences, but work itself was meant to be a good 
part of human design and human flourishing. I promise this whole time I will not use as many quotes as I'm about to, but there's some really good brains that are better than mine, and I want you to learn from them. This Old Testament scholar who I really like, John Golden Gay, says this, men and women were created to work. Work is not a result of sin in the world, and mastering the world and serving the garden would have involved labor and toil. At the end of a day's work in this ideal world, I imagine people would have felt tired. In a strange way, that's part of the satisfaction of having done a day's work. But now work becomes toilsome and laborious in a way that God did not originally intend. So humans working was part of the original design. And one beautiful scholar who I also very much appreciate now, a New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, talks about, okay, if, if that was the original design and we as Christians are saying, what, was it, what are we going towards when our work will not be toil, this someday vision of a new heaven, a new earth, what is that? future reality going to look like. So forgive me one more quote, but N.T. Wright says this, forget those images about lounging around playing harps. There will be work to do and we shall relish doing it. All the skills and talents we have put to God's service in this present life and perhaps to the interest and likings we gave up because they conflicted with our vacation. All of it will be enhanced and ennobled and given back to us to be exercised to God's glory. If, as we have already seen, the biblical view of God's future is the renewal of the entire cosmos, there will be plenty to be done, entire projects to undertake. Work will be included, and the work of our hands will be um, an enjoyable part of the flourishing of our humanity and of the world that we've been called to steward on behalf of Creator God. Okay, so... Original design, included work. It's a good thing to have a good day work of your hands. Now, we're going to just take a quick moment to go through all the rest of the Bible and look at what the biblical authors have to say about this idea of the work of our hands. I love this part. The first time in Scripture that any human being is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it's a craftsman. And he's filled with the spirit so that he can do his craft well. I love this. Bezalel in Exodus 31. God said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. I love that. Do you see how God is so honoring the, the work of his hands that he's filling, them, filling him with the Holy Spirit to do this craftsman labor? I love that. Let's look at the design of God's law, which we call the Torah. And when all of this way where God is saying, here's how I want you to live out this people of God living so that the world around you will know my character through your actions. I'm paraphrasing what, the, what God would say through the law. But the idea was, here's how to work in the world to reflect my character. And community service is built right into the farmer's vocation here. Work in a way that serves the vulnerable. God instructs, when you reap the harvest of your land. Do not reap the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Built right into the law of how to live was how to make sure that service for your community, those in need, was built right into your vocation. Let the way you work include care for others. In this moment, there was no delineation in the way those communities would operate between vocational work and ministry 
ministry work to serve others. I'm gonna return to that in a minute, but just think about how those communities were operating at the time. And also in the Torah, we see an expectation that work would not only be good work, good God-honoring work would not only be blessed, but it would bring humans joy. Deuteronomy 16 says this, for the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. We know that it will involve toil, be it in childbearing or in farming or whatever your work is, but doing the work will bring you joy. We are hardwired for our lives to include some kind of work of our hands toward a purpose. The psalmists praised this design, that God would invite humans to be a part of this work of our hands on behalf of and with God who created in the first place. Psalm 8, 6, you made them, humans, ruler over the works of your hands, speaking to creator God. You put everything on their feet. Like, wow, we get to do this. You let us work out of the work of your hands. Now we get to join in with that. That's like a thing that is celebrated. In Psalm 90, 17, the psalmist said, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Place your favor on the work of what we do in our everyday lives, God. And then if we look in the New Testament, because we're doing a fast forward through all of the Bible, we know in several places Paul talks about the work of these new Christians, some Jewish converts to Christianity and some Gentiles who'd become Christians, figuring out how to live out their days in ways that honor the way of Jesus in their real lives, right? The, both, of the, um, both of the letters, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, seem to have some kind of a problem with people who've sort of decided, like, I don't need to do any work anymore, and they become idle. And so Paul addresses this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So you you will not be dependent on anybody. He's basically reminding them, pull your own weight. In 2 Thessalonians, he talks about the people who are being idle and they're becoming busybodies. And he speaks against that. He's like, when we were there, we didn't ask things of you. We labored as well. Paul, you may hear him quoted a lot and think he sat around thinking and praying and writing letters. He was a tent maker. He was a both and kind of guy. He worked in the cities that he was in in order to um, have the work of his hands contribute towards the communities that he was serving. And in the letter that he wrote to the people in Colossae, uh, he reminds us so beautifully that all work of our hands, all the things we've been talking about, is given unto the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, whatever your vocation. This is coming from a tent maker and a person following the way of Jesus who's reminding us of that. And we're going to end our survey of the whole Bible, of course, with the life of Jesus as we see recorded in the four Gospels in the start of the New Testament. First of all, we see this in the teachings of Jesus repeatedly. Jesus often would teach in parables, which is a name for like a, a fictional story that could be real, but it's meant to signal a deeper spiritual truth, right? In a couple of his parables, really quickly, he talks in one of them in... Luke 19, the parable of the minas. He's talking about a master who leaves on a journey and entrusts his servants with these minas to work with, to 
to work with until he comes back. And when he returns, the master praises the one who has worked and he uh, reprimands the one who did not, like be productive with what he had been given. And so we see that in the teaching of Jesus. Also, Matthew 25, the parable of the bags of gold, same thing. The master praises the servants who were productive with what they were giving, earning more, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the one who just held on to his and kind of idly did nothing was called wicked and lazy. And so we see that in the teachings of Jesus, Jesus honors the work of your hands, faithful stewardship of what you've been given, your talents, your self, all of it, including your ability to work and produce. It's praised. And then, of course, we see it in the very life of Jesus, the way he lived his living witness to us still today as recorded in the Gospels. What was Jesus's work? Well, we don't have much record of what he was doing before he was 30. We have a little bit into his childhood. Maybe he practiced carpentry as his, um, his uh, stepfather, Joseph, was doing. Uh, we know that he was a carpenter, maybe. We don't actually know that. But we do have a three-year history of his work in ministry. And his work was ushering in the kingdom of God. That was the work of his hands. It included traveling, teaching, healing, uh, debating, sitting at dinner tables, training up a group of people to lead on in the mission after he was gone. He was a busy guy. He had a lot of work to do and he worked hard. And then we saw him becoming tired and going for that rest and refreshment that we talked about last week. So I want to get back as we process this whole survey of scripture and how we're designed to engage with the work of our hands. I want to process a few thoughts that I've been kind of pondering throughout the course of this week. I mentioned it earlier. In other communities, in other times, there was not the same delineation between our work and areas of service or, you know, job and ministry. This week, Andy and I had the opportunity to get to our wilderness, which helps us to engage in the city when we can disappear, to our little cabin in the woods in the middle of Indiana. It's behind a cornfield of our neighbor, Orvi. Orvi is a really great guy, such a hard worker, you guys. And you know, last week I told you how I love my ride, my ride on mower. I was on my ride on mower. I was on my John Deere. My John Deere is like, like this big, right? And I was riding my John Deere is mowing our driveway, which is just a two-track lane, of about a quarter mile to get us into the woods. Okay, I'm on my little John Deere feeling awesome and Orvi is on his huge truck. It's time to harvest the corn. And he has a neighbor or a friend, I don't know, I have never seen the guy, driving the truck next to him and they are literally going over their maybe 100 acres of corn because Orvi's a dairy farmer and he has to harvest the corn and these guys are driving next to each other in these really impressive tractors. I had a little bit of tractor envy right then. And uh, the one guy, it's cutting down and chopping it all up and it's getting spit into the second truck and the, you guys they were working for hours and hours and I was just on my little ride on mower um, and I was just thinking about like the work of their hands how so much of the work of my hands is sitting typing at a computer where they wake up and the farm tells them what time it is like I have to take care of the chickens I need to get the harvest ready so that I can feed the cows so that I can make the milk and now it's time the tomatoes are in it's time to preserve them like you 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 knew what your work of your hands need to be by whatever the day brought you. And I just found myself thinking about like, man, our worlds are like often so much more compartmentalized than that now. So you have to listen to some of my rambling as I was thinking a lot um, about the work of our hands. And one of the things when I'm talking about the work of our hands, I think 
what can get tricky is there's a jumble of words that we might use, right? Our work, our job, our vocation, career, service, ministry, calling, purpose, whatever. There's all these words that get put out there where I think like maybe Orvi's community, it's, it's more like happening all at the same time a little more clearly maybe. I don't know. Here's what I was thinking about. Okay, first of all, I was driving along thinking, I think one week talking about work was a bad idea. I feel like there's a lot of mines that I could step on here, like landmine field, whatever that's called. Um, and, and because in order to take all of these words and all of these thoughts that we have around the work of our hands, there's so many caveats, right? Well, well what about somebody with physical or mental disabilities who isn't able to engage in work? I, I mean, of course, we have to talk about that separately. What, what about um, when I'm unemployed and I'm having a hard time finding a job? What if I'm in a toxic work environment? Is God saying that I have to stay to work? No, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying like, we, we need to individualize this conversation so much in community? What does it look like in my life stage, in my circumstances, to engage with the work of my hands? There's nuanced and unique situations for every single one of us, absolutely. And so I want to say, like, process what to do with these thoughts with others in community as we try to figure it out. But I I want us to ask the question, like, how do I engage with my particular work of my hands in a way that honors God and others? Because in our post, I I was really thinking about farming a lot this week, um, and little farm communities, and like just the the beauty and the hard, hard work. and I was thinking, you know, in post-industrial revolution, right, everything changes and the sense of community and connectedness and a lot of cultural rhythms of these small rural towns are disrupted because people now all of a sudden are going to a job. They aren't waking up to the work of their hands. They like go to a place and they punch in and then they go home. And I think there's started to be more of a compartmentalized lifestyle. And so then you start to think, well, then things like service or calling happen outside of that job. And do you see what I'm trying to say? Like things got choppy somewhere along the way. And so I want to just give us a couple of thoughts where we are living now in a more compartmentalized lifestyle. Okay. So many of us go to work and then serve the community somewhere else. And I understand that. Like maybe you're saying, yep, Melissa, you're a pastor. And so those words, all those words make more sense. And actually I would say to you, like, I'm just really still working on figuring out what boundaries look like because I'm so happy to call my vocation my calling. That's really great. I think some of you may feel the same way. People I think of like, especially like teachers, they have to have a calling to get into that work. Jade and others, um, yeah, the nursing, uh, doctoring, so many of these, like these, they, like my calling gets to be my vocation. Yeah, that happens sometimes, and that's a lot of fun. But you guys, I also have worked my first job out of um, college. I was an executive, uh, an account executive in an advertising firm, and I spent my days trying to convince the world that our commercial wor- uh, roofing products were better than others. And I, that's what I did, and I did that as my vocation, and I was definitely not serving anybody there. And that vocation did not creep into my Saturday evening hangouts with friends. Like I wasn't worried about which roofing you picked. And it wasn't like the state of your soul that was at stake, you know, like, and that's okay. Like that's a really good profession. And I, um, I've worked in, uh, in weight as wait staff and I got to use a little bit more of my relational wiring there. I actually really love being a server. I, I enjoyed that work. I've done it in multiple different times, but I've also worked in kitchens where I was the 
dishwasher and salad tosser and I had to clean toilets and I was like, I don't love this, but it's a vocation and it, it wasn't using maybe the same uh, passion or giftings or talents that I would call it like a ministry or anything. So I've had sort of like run the gamut of compartmentalized versus all blurry and I don't think one is right or wrong. Like this is just what we need to process through together wherever our work of our hands. I've also been a stay-at-home parent who did data entry as a job so that I could stay home with the kids and like talk about a hard job for a relational person. It literally was just me, a computer, and paper for hours. But it was it was beautiful because it allowed me to stay home with our kids and I loved that. So like wherever you are on the gamut of the work of your hands in the season that you're in, I would say there's a spectrum here, but all of us can ponder the way of Jesus and consider our situations and ask the question that was uh, encouraged to uh, the church in Colossae, whatever you do, work at it with your heart as working for the Lord. Like, what does that look like in data entry and waitressing and executive uh, for building materials. Like, I, I, like it's going to look different and in pastoring or teaching or accounting or whatever it is. Like, what, how do I process this? And so what I would contend, what came to my mind and was, I was brewing a lot while I was on that little ride-on mower this week, was that um, I, just, I contend that our invitation today is to consider this. Wherever we are in our work of our hands state, How can we choose in a compartmentalized world to intentionally reconflate, if that's a word, bring back together our understanding of work as our calling as humans to include both job and ministry service, like in the life of Jesus. I would say to you, it's not just reserved for people who are in ministry as their paid vocation at all. It's not at all. If we look at the life of Jesus, these are all meshed together. And as I was thinking about Orvi and his friends, I was like, it might have been easier in a different space and time to be able to operate this way. And so I want to ask us, if we look at all of those words again, like, what does it look like if we say, I, I want a life that's a both and, and he's conflating these back together as the work of my hands and not having everything compartmentalized, even if our day is at the office, then at home, then at church, then at service. Like, it, it can be. We're in different places. Like, we aren't living in that tight one-spot community anymore. And so... I want to get really practical when we talk about con- reconflating the under our understanding of work, our core design as humans, to include both job and ministry service. How are we going to be practical in reconflating these things in our compartmentalized life? And it, it doesn't happen as naturally as I think it does in farming communities. Um, and so I want to talk specifically. So what do we do here? Because we're not Mennonite farmers in the middle of cornfields in Indiana, like Orvi and his friends. Like, the, it's just a different lifestyle. As much as we watch Homestead Rescue sometimes, and there's every now and then I'm like, yes, that would be so fun. And then they go, by the end of the episode, I don't think so. But if, if Homestead Rescue is not for you, how do we live it out in the reality of Chicago in 2023? And I want to really get specific here for a minute. I'm going to give you two observations and then some specific ideas, and that's for a purpose. I believe that part of our shared community life together here, Monsieur de Rigleville, if you are a guest, you are invited into this too, by the way. But for those of you who call Monsieur de home, part of our community life together
together is to um, find ways to help us intentionally engage as a community of Jesus, holding both our vocation and service as our collective work mode on a balanced teeter-totter, or on a properly flowing teeter-totter would be the best, better way to say it, right? And I came up on my little ride-on mower with two observations that I think hinder us, and I'm going to pair each of those with things that we do here at Monsieur de Wrigleyville that you are invited to partake in in order to reconflate the work of our hands. Okay, my first observation in watching Orvi and his friends, I think it's harder to know about needs for us in our world. If I happen to not see you at church one week, uh, we may go weeks without connecting. We are not running into each other at the supermarket for the most part. This is a very large city in case you didn't know. And we live all over the place. It is harder to see needs. When I think about a small community, like the communities that were um, at the time of Jesus, right? And, and Aunt Sarah, old Aunt Sarah is bedridden with sickness, like the community knew. And they had to take turns going over and feeding her and taking care of her and tending to her needs. Like everybody knew when old Aunt Sarah was sick. I, I don't always know when you guys are sick. You don't know when I'm sick. We don't know always when there's need. So if we want to live the way of Jesus, how can we intentionally engage in a way that makes sure that needs are even known and taken care of? We have two different things that I would invite you to here at Monsieur de Wrigleyville that go specifically to this point. One is community cares. This is a, um, a connection point where um, we can provide meals or rides to physical therapy or whatever it is that's needed. We need to know of the need. If you've had a baby, had a surgery, like then a list goes out to everybody who signed up and you just say like, yes, I can take a meal. Like I didn't know old Aunt Sarah was sick. Good to know. I've got soup. Like we need to know the need in order to meet it. And so one of ours is Community Cares. I encourage you to sign up to be on that list. Uh, another one is our Barnabas Fund. Barnabas was a person in the, uh, recorded in the book of Acts who sold his field so nobody in the community would have needs. He gave the proceeds. We have a box in the back and a fund on our online giving that's totally outside of any operating budget. People give to this fund and across all of the Monsieur Day congregations, people then are also invited to ask for help when they are between between jobs and can't cover rent or whatever else is a big above and beyond medical expenses. How can we meet those needs? Well, number one, we need to know about them. So if you're on the need side of that spectrum, reach out to Barnabas. There is a group of people who serve in the way of uh, discernment and help in that specific way. You guys, we saw such an amazing outpouring. This was a beautiful example. In the beginning of the pandemic, when the city shut down, there were people here whose jobs, yes, moved fully to home, but other than that, their work was not uh, interrupted at all. And they saw that there were going to be a lot of people in our congregations whose work was going to be interrupted. People in the service industries, for example, like there just wasn't an opportunity. And so people just were like, what can I do? And we just, Barnabas, just lit up with, hey, I've got resources. Hey, I've got needs. It was a beautiful example of how in 2023, in this big spread out city, we still can say things like, well, yeah, we all should know that old Aunt Sarah is sick. And we may not be in the small community, but we all are in a community that wants to meet needs, connect resources with needs. So I encourage you to reach out and know about Community Cares and Barnabas. That's observation number one. It's harder for us to know and see needs in the way we live these days. And observation number two is one that's really been just getting me lately personally. So uh, 
this one feels heavy on my heart. We have access to the whole world's crises. Crises? Crises. Aaron says crises. All of the crises all the time. And you guys, that was not true in early communities. You start your day off and you're already like, I mean, between the war in Ukraine and the fires in Maui and the earthquake in Morocco and the floods in Libya and like, I... I, my heart doesn't even, I don't even, and we can be debilitated. I was thinking about these small farming communities and what happened when Farmer Bob's barn burnt down. Everyone's like, well, we got to go to Bob's today. That's the work of our hands. We got to go raise a new barn because the crisis was local. And, and this was what, and now I love, I love that we're a small, big world right now for a lot of reasons. But I think that in looking at the work of our hands, it can be debilitating to have access to so, so much information. Our response to that as a community together is to partner with a few organizations already doing kingdom work. And if you're partnering with an organization you want us to know about, please tell us. But what we've done is we've tried to pick a few partners so that we can maximize our energy, the amount of energy that we do have, and we can maximize our collective impact by not starting from scratch to take on all of the world, but instead saying, where's their kingdom work happening around the world? around our city and right here in Wrigleyville? Where is kingdom work happening and how can we partner with that? You can find a current list of our highlighted partners on our website. I think I put that on. Yes, too. So you can see like where can I even plug in? Because when it feels super debilitating to even take on anything in the world, it's really good to know that we have a service team going to serve uh, at Kids Alive in Guatemala this spring. Like I can go with and not to try to take on everything. We have teams going and feeding people in um, breakthrough ministries. We're gonna hear from a couple of these partners over the course of the fall. But I, I encourage you guys to look at where there's already things going on. And as a community, where do I collectively join in to maximize impact and not be debilitated by the amount of news that we have access to all the time. And that last point brings me to the encouragement that I wanna leave us with today. And the reason, you might be wondering, like wait, weren't we on a passage that has nothing to do with any of this? Aha. If you caught that, that's what we're gonna turn back to. The story of the loaves, okay? Here's where I found so much encouragement from that. Recently, if you've been around at all, you know that we have taken on a housing project to respond to the um, asylum-seeking uh, housing crisis in Chicago right now. I'm gonna tell you guys right up front, we are meeting some serious resistance and we need people of prayer. This is me unabashedly saying, if this is your church home, I really encourage you to sign up for Team 31 by emailing me because we want every day covered in prayer and I am... I, we are just so deep in, like the, the rooms are set up, you guys. This building is ready to house people and the resistance is now, I'm taking it to a spiritual battle and, and we need you to sign up for a day of the month where you are going to cover this ministry in prayer and we'll send you updates on what we're praying for right now. I really, really encourage you to participate in your service by way of prayer in this ministry. Anyhow, back to the loaves. When this need became clear and things were lining up and it just felt like such a God thing that this was the next call and an answer to our prayers for a long time, how do we use this big building, this beautiful thing that we have the stewardship of the mortgage and the uh, tuck pointing and all of this as part of our, our life here, our identity here in Wrigleyville. I love this building. How
how do we use it for bigger purposes? And when God seemed to answer this and the call went out to everyone, hey, here's what's going on. I was reading in my devotional and this story was there. And for the first time I heard the tone of Jesus in this special way, how many loaves do you have? And I was like, I've got like a half a loaf, but how many do you have? And you, and you. And when we came out together, that's where the kingdom impact happened, you guys. That's where all of a sudden things started to grow because rather than feeling like the work of our hands was just at our jobs, people were responding with whatever loaf they had. I can cut hair. I can bring a mattress. I can clean up the kitchen and reinstall a dishwasher. I can provide a laundry unit. Like the loaves that came forward, that's where the kingdom maximization happened. That's where things suddenly exploded from this little tiny bit that we had. We're partnering with other churches. You guys, we have a church coming in today in the rain from Naperville because they put on a toy drive to bless the children who will eventually come and live here. They did a toy drive for these families that are living in the 19th Ward Police Station before they even met them. And they're delivering them today and we get to show them our space. Like you guys, this is a moment where we get to experience and have as part of our history as a church community that when you bring forth whatever portion of work of your hands you can, God will multiply it. God will do that work. And when we do that, multi, that we bring our loaf, what we can towards these projects that we are doing with partners or with other organizations around the city or right here at 1242 West Addison, just bring forth what you can. And you guys, let's, let's watch God do the multiplication of our offerings because that's where kingdom work is happening is right here among us. When we offer up the work of our hands, whatever it may be back to the Lord and say, do what you can. I work unto you in my data entry, in my mothering, in my whatever your work is, accounting, waitressing, and you're serving. It's a both and mentality that will not be um, thwarted by scarcity mindset, but instead say together as a community, I will give you Jesus, what portion of a loaf I have. And let's just watch with awe and delight as God does the multiplication. Amen. All right, let's pray. Um, God, I would love to ask for just covering over all of my words because uh, just to just cast away anything that was unhelpful. The conversation about work can get so messy in church because it's in quick, uh, quick motion where we start to either feel like that is our identity and it's not God. We are just your beloved children. We're not saved through our work. We don't have to do certain things to earn anything with you, Jesus. It's just pure grace. And we just praise that. So help us to, to have healthy understanding of this balance of core identity with the work of our hands, with our beloved standing, no matter, no matter what. Um, just help to refine all of this conversation um, to whatever purpose you have for us as we just consider how, Lord, we can respond as a community to that which you are calling us to in ways that reflect the rhythms of grace of you. Lord Jesus, we want to walk with you. We want to work with you. And we want to just have you, Holy Spirit, teach us how to do those things in our everyday lives. Uh, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.